This month I was supposed to build a tall neck which proved impossible in the time I had, but I did get into a lot of board games, so let's talk about that instead. You might remember a few years ago I bought a load of different card games, and this year we did the same thing but with board games. We've got quite a few already, and there's more coming but they won't be here till after the podcast is done, so I'm going to talk about the ones that we've played in order of worst to best, starting with Mantis. Mantis is a card game where you try to match your cards with cards from the deck to score points. The cards in the deck are like hidden, so like they're in a stack in the middle and all you can see is the back. On the back is like a little symbol and it shows you three colours and you know that that means the card is one of those three. So you either choose to score where you flip the card and if it matches one of the cards you've got in your hand then you get that many points. Or you can steal where you flip the card, and if it matches one of your opponent's cards, then you steal both sets of those and add them to your hand. In the two-player games we were playing, it's the first to score 15 points, otherwise it's first to 10. It's a very simple game, and it's pretty fast-paced because of it, but it just isn't that interesting. My wife really liked it, because it was quick and easy, but it quite frequently just boils down to one person getting really lucky. You only have two choices, so there's not like a whole lot of strategy you can do, and if you choose wrong, it's really difficult to come back from. There's also just like a lot of cards. There's seven different colours and 14 of each colour. There's so many cards that it means that like it's actually really easy to score a lot of points in one go and as soon as one person is like that far ahead it becomes really difficult for the other person to catch up. We would have games that were over in like three four turns To some extent, maybe it's just because, like, the cards weren't shuffled all that well. We've shuffled them a lot more since then, but we're still seeing, like, a similar issue. The first game was the most even we played, where I think even that only went about four or five turns. No, it must have gone longer than that. must have gone more like ten. But the second game we played was, like, three turns. My wife played and scored. I played, made the wrong choice. She played and scored again. I made the wrong choice. She scored again and won. And that was the end of it. It's so quick, and there's, like, so little actual interaction between you and the other players. It just wasn't interesting. It was literally just a matter of like, if I make this choice right, I win, and if I make this choice wrong, you win. I realise that sounds like pretty obvious, that's like how a lot of games work, but it just, it wasn't interesting because it was so quick. It felt like none of your choices really mattered. You'd think that it would feel like your choices are really important because of it, but it actually felt so random that it meant I had no interest in what I was using. I was just like, oh well I've lost now, that's the end. I felt nothing for it. It's easily the one I liked the least, and it's definitely the one I don't want to go back to. Traintopia is the next game, and is by far the most complicated of the games we've got so far, if not probably the most complicated board game I've ever played. It's not exactly bad, I quite liked it, but the scoring of the game is an utter nightmare. It's overly complicated, by its simplest you're building rail tracks, and then placing trains, passengers, and packages on the tracks to score more points. You get points for the length of the track, the number of terrain types the track goes through, the locations the train passes, and various other things. The gameplay's got some really odd rules, where like you do different things depending on the number of people playing, and you reveal pieces each turn that each player will take, but you're not supposed to take all of them, and I still don't really get why. And then you're also supposed to score the game as you go along, which is definitely where we went wrong. But it just also doing it as you go along feels like just a lot. Besides the scoring, the only other complaint I've got is that the game takes up just a huge amount of space. So each player is like physically building the track each turn, and they can quite quickly like sprawl across like a huge distance. (laughs) Each turn you'll pick a tile, 
and place it down and it has to connect to your other tiles and build a track as you go and then you can also choose to put like trains on them or packages on them or passengers on them or tourists which are like passengers but that aren't passengers and it's just like a lot there's just a lot going on and like i say with the tiles quite quickly they'll just get like massively out of control they'll, they'll just be like right the way across the table and even with just the two of us it was too much and you're supposed to play this game with four people i think you can go up to more is it just four it might just be four but either way it's too many <laughs> like it's huge it's huge the amount of space you can cover but the scoring is the real problem you quite quickly get in like hundreds of points and if you don't track them well while it's going on it's really confusing to follow at the end you'll count a track and then you'll move on to a different track but you're doing just so much maths for each track there's just like a lot to keep track of even with like we used a spreadsheet like i just had a spreadsheet open at the time on my laptop so i just started jotting it all down in there as i was going and even then it was just so much because you score for the length of a track then you get extra points depending on what color the track is so if it's one color track then you get one set of points but if it's a two color track you get a different set of points you multiply that if there's packages on it you get extra points for the train on it then if it's got tourists on it then the tourists score points based on what locations they visit there's like stadiums and stuff that they can go to on the track and they will get points based on those and then there's passengers where the passengers get points based on how many different terrain sorry like i'm saying like even just explaining it it doesn't make any sense you will put them down on a terrain type and the number of that terrain that is on that track so if there's like three deserts on the track they get like three points and you can have three different passengers on it you can have like one on each different thing and it's just there's just a lot to keep track of and you're not building one track you're building like four or five each it just quite quickly gets to be a lot <laughs> you're supposed to score it as you go along like i said which is probably would have been easier but it just there's so much like i kind of liked the game i was like enjoying it but the scoring is so complicated there's just so much that goes into it it really dragged us both out of it i think we'd have to score it as we went along that would make the game easier but it wouldn't even make the game easier like it would still be really complicated it would just spread out how complicated it is over the entire length of the game rather than all at the end but i think the game would just be better overall if the rules weren't so complicated so the middle game is Catan Jr. We got the Junior Edition for a couple of different reasons. For one, it was cheaper, the games tend to be quicker, and pirates are cool. We had quite a lot of fun with it, but I also think we played it a bit wrong. Each turn, you build either a ship or a new base, and the aim is to be the first person to have seven bases across like a chain of islands. You build using materials, and you get the materials based on dice rolls. You roll a dice and it gives you a number and that number corresponds to an island and if you have a base near that island you get that material. You can also make trades to get the pieces you need and I think that's where we went wrong. We were doing like multiple trades per turn to get what we needed and I'm not sure that's supposed to be allowed. It didn't like cause us any problems and we actually both preferred it that way. It just sped the game up to be honest but like I think technically we played wrong but we both enjoyed it so I'm not going to complain about that. Yeah, we're probably going to play it again and maybe get the full game at some point because I know the junior ones tend to be very different, but it was fun. Happy Little Dinosaurs is the penultimate game and we definitely just got it because dinosaurs are cool. It's kind of like Top Trumps combined with Snakes and Ladders. You try to get to the top of the board by playing a better card than your opponent. If you win, you move up the board based on the card number you played and if you lose, you have to take a disaster card, which was revealed at the start of the turn. 
If you get three of the same type of disaster card, you die, and you win by either making your way to the top of the board or being the last dinosaur alive. We both just really enjoyed it. It's not that complicated, and it was really easy to pick up because of it, and we had a lot of fun with it. The art is also, like, adorable. We both really like dinosaurs, but they're also really cute dinosaurs. There's also, like, loads of expansions you can get, which add new disasters and cards to play with, which we might get in the future. You can see in my recordings, I'm speaking less and less about the games as I get on, which is weird, but it's just because, like, I liked these games. They were fun. I enjoyed it a lot. But that means that I have less to say about them, because, like, it's just easier to come up with the negatives for a game than it is the positives, to be honest. The other games I liked a lot less than this, so I had more to say about them, whereas this one I really liked, but that means I'm just not thinking of the things I want to say. I just want to say, yeah, it was cool. (laughs) Of all the games that we got this time, Tokaido Duo is the first one we got, and also the favourite. We actually originally wanted to get one of the big Tokaido games, so there's like big versions for like many people, and Tokaido Duo, which is like a game just for two people. We were going to get the other ones, but they were just big and expensive and there's only two of us. But then we saw this and it was like, yep, it's very similar and cheaper and just for two of us. So yeah, it's perfect. So what you do is you play as three different characters. You play an artist, a merchant and a pilgrim, and they travel around an island completing their own goals. Artists want to paint and give away various paintings and you get points for each one that you've given away. The merchant collects and sells goods around the island. You get points based on how many you've sold. The pilgrim visits shrines and gardens and gets their points by multiplying the two together. If any of the characters fulfills the goal, like if the artist gives away all of their paintings, then the game ends and then you add up all three sets of points and see who wins. Sometimes you can be the one who ends the game, but if the other player has scored more points overall, you'd still lose. So there's like also like a lot of strategy to the game. The way it works is there's three dice, one for each of the characters, and if it's my turn, I will roll and I will choose one of the dice. So say I choose the pilgrim, then you get to choose one. So you might move your artist and then I would move my merchant. So you're always like working on all of your characters, but it means that like you're trying to fulfill your goals. I'm moving my pilgrim, so I'm trying to visit all the shrines. But if I know you're going for like artist, I might on my next turn take the artist because say like I roll a higher number on the artist and not much on the pilgrim. I might take the artist just to stop you. So there's a lot of like little things like that. You're constantly balancing like progressing your own goals with stopping your opponent from fulfilling theirs. And it's just a lot of fun. <laughs> like we both really liked it. We've played it the most and it's the one we liked the most. It was like a little bit confusing at first with the whole like playing multiple characters thing, but we both got into it very quickly and it was just great. The art's really nice as well. It helps that it's all like Japan themed because we both like Japan. We've both I say we've both been to Japan, we went together, planning to go back next year actually. It was a lot of fun, and we've played the most of it, and now we're just kind of like saving up to get one of the big versions. There's Takedo, which is the original game, and there's another one which I can't remember the name of, it's like Namiji? I don't know, I might look it up, it's something like that, but it's an ocean-themed version of the same thing, and they both look great as well, the only thing is they're just more expensive and they're designed for more people, so it puts us off a little bit, but this was really good, and it's like easily something I could recommend. The other main thing I've done this month was I released the first update for my game. I spoke last month how I was going to, but I wasn't sure what I was going to do yet, and I decided that I was going to add achievements, which turned into a complete mess. First, I made them in Steam. You go into the Steam dashboard thing, you click achievements, and then you just type in the achievement name you want, you add artwork. That's like all the work there. And then there's the actual code work where I go into my game and Mine were all really simple because they were just based on triggers that already existed. It was literally just appending a single line of code to the end of every single one of these, and that was it. That 
it was all really easy. So everything was going great. And then the last thing I needed to do was make the game talk to Steam. And that is where all of the problems started. I followed a couple of tutorials and each one of them would always get to a point where I just couldn't get any further with it and I'd have to try again with something new. The first ones told me to change a couple of files in Unreal Engine and then rebuild it and that didn't work. And then others told me to change files that didn't exist, which ultimately required me to add C++ to my project, which if you know anything about Unreal Engine, you know it runs C++, so you might be like, what do you mean add it to? What I mean is there's code projects and there's blueprint projects. Code projects have blueprints. Blueprint projects don't display the underlying C++ though. So you can have a blueprint project that'll work perfectly well, but doesn't have the underlying C++ stuff. It's not really editable. Really, you should make a C++ project because that has all the blueprints in it anyway. And then if you need the C++, it's not an issue to do it. You can make a blueprint project a C++ project, which is what I ended up having to do. But that also meant I had to install Visual Studio, which for some reason I hadn't done on this PC. But that didn't work anyway. <laughs> I found one last tutorial that told me every single thing I'd done previously had been completely pointless. And all I really needed to do was to tick a single box in the plugin editor. But that didn't work. And then eventually, I found a forum post that said Steam just didn't work in this version of Unreal Engine. Which seems like a pretty big issue to me, but apparently it's not a big enough issue for Epic to feel the need to fix it. I guess, like, they fixed it in that they released a new version of Unreal Engine. They didn't update version 4.26, they made 4.27, and that fixed it. The difference is, is that if you've got a 4.26 project, you can upgrade 4.26 to 4.26.1, and it doesn't change your project at all. If you upgrade to 4.27, it can cause problems. I've had it previously where it's just like fucked up problems, and there's times when you, if you need to make big jumps, you will have to like manually install every version of the engine in between and walk your game through them just to not fuck it up. One of my games right now, well, a couple of my games actually, they exist in a version of Unreal that doesn't properly function anymore. It's to do with how Windows displays Windows, actually. <laughs> but it means that those don't function anymore, and I tried to upgrade them to a new version of Unreal, and they just completely broke the games, and I just never got around to fixing it, which is why a couple of my games just aren't available anymore, unless you have a phone with them still installed on. But anyway, I ended up having to make my game a C++ project. I had to make some engine changes as well anyway. Well, I didn't have to, but I already had at this point. And then I had to upgrade them to a different engine entirely anyway, and then it just worked. And like, to some extent, it's nice that it just works now. But at the same time, it means every single thing I did was correct. Because when I say it just worked, I don't mean like, oh, I had to go through all of this work again once I'd upgraded the engine. No, I literally just mean I upgraded the engine, pressed play, and it was correct. So every line of code that I'd written in C++ was fine. Every line of code I've written in the blueprints to actually get the achievements to pop was fine. All of that was fine. The only problem was that the version of Unreal I was using didn't like to talk to Steam. It's nice that it works, but it also means that it was not my fault at all, and that just makes me more annoyed. Because, like, it's stuff like this that is my least favourite part of being a game developer. Like, the number of times when I've, like, been working on something, and I have done everything correct, and it turns out that the problem isn't me. The problem is that the engine doesn't do what it says it does. There was a problem I had years ago, where I was making AI for a game, and it's probably fixed now, it's supposed to be. But I knew a guy who knew a guy who worked on the AI system in... Unreal Engine. And so it meant that I had like a way of just asking the people who actually developed the system how to make it work. What I wanted was just, it was really simple. It was literally just to use the newest system to make the AI hear 
and see my character and do different things depending on which one it was. And it turned out that this function had rolled out and it just didn't work. So I couldn't get it to work. So I asked the guy who developed the system and he just said, yeah, it doesn't work right now. I was like, why is it in the fucking engine then? And he's just like, yeah, because we got told to add it. And it's like, but it doesn't fucking work. The problem, as far as I'm aware, is that the people who develop the systems don't talk to each other because they're not allowed to, essentially. Which means you've got the people working on the AI don't talk to the people who develop blueprints, which means that they will develop new systems for how the AI works, but the blueprints team can't develop the way to make it usable. Break it down to something simple. The AI team will develop a new system for AI hearing things. So your AI will now be able to like hear noises and react to them. But the blueprint team won't create a node that will make that happen. So the function exists and it's there. And if you work at it a different way, you can make it work. But if you're actually using the systems within Unreal Engine, you can't actually get the functionality that Unreal Engine says it has. It's little things like that all the time. And it's just the worst experience. Because <laughs> it's like, I can do everything right, but you will tell me that something exists and it just doesn't. My favourite part of making games is just making shit. Like, I like it when I make a thing and it works. I'm going to try and not complain so much as usual. Things have pretty much stayed the same. I'm still getting more subscribers on my Sentence channel, but the views are down, and I don't really understand why. Views on my main channel are still doing awfully. I don't know what I could do about it. I thought moving my podcast somewhere else would help. It seems to, if anything, have harmed it. I thought getting a video out with no views was bad. But it turns out getting a video out with no views is better than not getting a video out at all. So I think that's why. I don't know. Also, I've already explained why it didn't go well, but recording the tall neck took forever. That video ended up being 10 minutes because of the way the time lapse is, but building that base took over an hour and a half. That is 100 steps, and the tall neck body is 300. So that's going to be like, at the same rate, another four and a half hours. It ended up just being a way bigger job than I expected. And for another thing, I just wasn't like super happy with how it turned out. Not like it was bad, it just didn't look as good as I wanted it to. So I bought some lights, one of which turned up broken, which I'm really annoyed about. It's not like completely broken, it'll still work, but it's not right. So I got some money back for it. So hopefully the next one will look better, but that's why it ended up being two parts rather than one. You may also have noticed a massive change <laughs> to my sentence channel on TikTok, where I'm now posting way more videos on them. That started at the start of this month, and I didn't mention it at all in last month's podcast. And this isn't some big thing where I wanted it to be like a massive surprise or anything. I legitimately just didn't make the decision until after I'd recorded the podcast. Despite that only being about four days. It wasn't even a matter of make the decision, I just hadn't even thought about it. I spoke in my podcast last time about how I would like to do some that are like preview videos, but that requires me to get games early. And then after recording it, and then I was like, well, what if instead of that I just make basically a sentence for every game I play and just call it an impressions video? So that's what I ended up doing. Those are all doing fine. Like some of them have done pretty well. Mostly they're doing on average with everything else. On my TikTok, that just means I'm getting more views. I've gone from getting like 400 or so to 1,000 a week, which is obviously way better for me. YouTube, again, because they're so inconsistent views, it's not noticeably better. In fact, actually, month for month, I'm doing worse now, but it's because I got some videos last month that were doing like thousands more, but I'm happy with how they're going anyway. I will say that I've noticed the videos that I post, which are controversial opinions, where I say that I, either where I say I don't like something other people like, or even if I just say I don't like something outright, those tend to do better. If I'm happy about a game, those don't tend to do well. If I'm not happy about a game, those tend to do pretty well. I don't like that. 
but there's not much I can do about it. Next month, that's going to continue. My LPs are both continuing. Those are just going to carry on forever, it seems. <laughs> Yakuza's weird. I know it's not Yakuza anymore, is it? It's like a dragon, but I'm still calling it Yakuza. It's weird because percentage-wise, I'm apparently like 24% of the way through the game, but I've done 75% of the sub-stories. And also the entire game is just about making friends with everyone. There are so many friendships. It just seems like every single time I talk to someone, it starts a new friendship. And I don't know if it's infuriating or what, but it does mean there are are a hell of a lot of episodes where it's just me wandering around talking to the same people every single episode. I tried to not make that too annoying. I'm getting through them pretty quickly, so eventually those won't happen at all anymore. But yeah, it's a bit weird in terms of the pacing that way. It's fun though. I like like it. Monster Hunter's going to continue... My normal videos are just going to carry on. My sentences are all as normal. My streams are going to carry on as normal. Like, yeah, like, nothing's really changing. Get the second part of my tall neck video out this month. So yeah, everything's just going to carry on, it seems. Special thanks to all of my patrons. You can join them over at patreon.com slash holdengatsby, and for $1 a month you'll get to see what I'm working on early and get exclusive roles in my Discord, along with other rewards I might think of. You can also just follow me there if you want to for free, as it's probably the best place to see all of my content as soon as it's available. There's links to the Patreon, along with my Discord, TikTok, Twitter, Twitch, and all the other podcast platforms in the description for this episode. Finally, don't forget you can email me using podandcaspy at gmail.com if you've got anything you want to say. Thanks for sticking around. Bye. Special thanks to my patrons, Justin Wood, Hobbs, Coopy Vegeta, and Gunrunner.